Episode 141. It's hard to prescribe specialty drugs. Today, I speak with Lori Carr from ZapRx. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. It's kind of a hot mess. Yep. This whole process of getting a patient a specialty drug in a timely fashion. Today, I speak with Lori Carr from ZapRx. Lori breaks it down. She breaks down the complexities and explains the approach that ZapRx has taken to straighten out the workflow to prescribe specialty products for providers and also gather some new data for pharma. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Lori. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about specialty pharmaceutical products for a moment. It is super important that if someone is prescribed one of these powerful, expensive products, I mean, obviously they were prescribed for a reason, and it's very key that the patient gets them in a, in a timely fashion, the correct dose. What's the problem there? Yes, traditionally, these products have been really tightly managed for good reason. They're, as you mentioned, very powerful drugs and are in many cases quite expensive. And so in general, the payers are very interested in making sure that the right patient gets the right drug at the right time. And in doing so, have put in some processes in order to make sure that happens. So lots of paperwork is required to get these drugs approved by the payer. But in addition to that, since the drugs are dispensed through specialty pharmacies and not picked up at your traditional retail store on the corner, there's paperwork there as well. So all of this stuff, and there's many more complexities throughout the process. So lots of paperwork, very manual, lots of faxes and phone calls, and several different stakeholders in the process, whether it's specialty pharmacy or the payer, sometimes patient assistance programs. And bringing that all together is really important. However, today, in today's world, that doesn't happen. They're all done in silos and they're all done manually. So there's a lot of what I would call inefficiencies in the system in order to get these drugs approved and out to the patient. You use the term paperwork and you use the term manual. I'm getting the impression that it's still a piece of paper on a desk. Would that be? Yes, <laughs> that is accurate. Uh, by and large, these prescriptions are filled by the specialty pharmacy after they receive a piece of paper that is that comes via the fax that has been hand filled out by the practice. Could be the nurses, um, sometimes the office staff, but essentially the paperwork that goes to the specialty pharmacy is handwritten, faxed over, same thing for the prior authorization over to the patient. Primarily, there are electronic ways to do this. And in fact, the practice can send a prescription electronically like they would say a typical retail product. However, what happens in that scenario is the specialty pharmacies need a lot more information than, than that comes through in that electronic prescription. And so they ultimately initiate this paper-filled process after they receive the electronic prescription. Let's just walk through this. Okay, patient is in the exam room and the physician thinks, okay, this patient needs X specialty product. So maybe they lift up their handheld and they e-prescribe or do a, a paper prescription. But like what happens next? Like what's what's how does this process flow work? 
essentially, you, you're right in terms of they start with either the e-prescription, but more commonly these paper enrollment forms. Those forms and or prescriptions get sent to a specialty pharmacy, but in the process of sending them, they need to figure out typically which specialty pharmacy is in network for the payer that will cover this drug, ultimately which drug within the category is covered so that the patient actually has you know a reasonable out-of-pocket cost if possible, although many times these co-pays are, are very significant for patients. And so once that is determined and the forms are sent over to the appropriate specialty pharmacy, the pharmacies themselves will work with the office back and forth, often through fax and phone calls, to get information to help them fulfill the process of prior authorization so that they actually get approval to fill the drug. That's because they ultimately are paid by the payer and they will not release a drug until they know that the patient has coverage for the drug. Once all of that is completed, which, by the way, can take from days to weeks, depending on the drug and the payers involved. And then the specialty pharmacy will ultimately go ahead and start to fulfill the product, which is an internal process. Obviously, they do the adjudication of the claim up front in terms of the payment for them, but they really then send it over to the warehouse, which essentially fills the prescription similarly to what you would see in a retail pharmacy, except for the fact they now have to ship it to the patient. There's a lot of work that goes on in between with the patient in terms of when they can receive the drug. As you can imagine, you wouldn't want these drugs sitting on a doorstep for two or three days if you know if the patient's going to be traveling. So there's a fair amount of communication on the logistics side for the specialty pharmacy with the patient, as well as as it relates to getting the drug to the patient from the clinical perspective. So there are a lot of clinical programs in place for these drugs so that A, the, the payer is sure that the patient that is getting the drug should be getting the drug and that they're staying on the drug, but also to really understand if there are side effect issues and those types of things. So there are often phone calls between the patient and the specialty pharmacy before that drug will be released for fulfillment in order to make sure that the right drug is going out and it will ultimately get where it needs to go without being, you know, sort of lost in the in the system. Now, you said enrollment forms at the very beginning of the process that the provider, the one of the first things that they do is, you know, maybe write the script, but also there's an enrollment form involved. Who is that enrollment form provided by? A manufacturer will typically, the manufacturer of the product choice. So whoever's actually making the product will have forms associated with just their product. In some cases, they have what's called a hub, which sits in the middle of the prescriber and ultimately the specialty pharmacy. And, and so there could be hub forms, which are also made in connection with the manufacturer. The, each specialty pharmacy also has their own forms for most drugs or most categories, like a specialty. So for lung cancer, as an example, a specialty pharmacy would have all of the drugs potentially you know, to be prescribed in that specialty, and those forms exist as well. So the provider often has choice in terms of which forms they fill out, but they could be coming from different places potentially. And in some cases, the manufacturer has forms that are mandated by the FDA for what are called REMS programs. And essentially, that's a risk mitigation program for drugs that have, you know, some side effects that are pretty extreme. And so they want to make sure that these drugs aren't going out to just any patient without a fair amount of extra information. So they're aware of what they're taking, and what the potential side effects could be. So if I'm a provider, first I go to my filing cabinet of enrollment forms, it sounds like, and I 
find, well, actually, even before that, I got to figure out, okay, well, here's a patient. This patient is presenting with, you know, X condition. And there's five drugs in the category that might work for them. So the first thing I have to do is to figure out which one of them is going to be covered at the least copay, I suppose, for that particular patient or which product is first line that this patient can actually get at this time, right? So that that's on my shoulders first. Ideally, that would be the case. That is a very important consideration. Unfortunately, because of the sheer number of drugs in different health plans and the different levels of coverage for patients, that is one area that is a major sort of pain point, if you will, for the office, because that is not information that's readily available. It's often that information is contained in lists or on you know, spreadsheets, or they simply call the plan. There's multiple ways that they try and get that information before they make the prescribing decision. But Often they are, you know, really focused on what is the most clinically beneficial product for the patient. And if that is not available based on the coverage for the patient or the formulary status, they ultimately would make another choice. But that comes after the fact, usually when they're notified that either the copay impact is too large or the drug's not covered or, you know, for whatever reason, they can't prescribe that particular drug. So again, that's another inefficiency in the system because they don't have that information at their fingertips. They're sort of guessing. They're also trying to figure out which forms are the right forms. There's a lot of sort of trying to figure things out as you go in this prescribing process because there's so many complexities in terms of how it gets covered and the amount of work that needs to be done to understand the best possible way to get it covered for the patient at the lowest possible copay. It sounds like it's a little bit of trial and error. And sadly, I guess that adds a lot to the therapy time. Like if the prescriber really wants to prescribe drug A and then, you know, two weeks later, it's determined that drug A is going to be super expensive, then that's an extra two weeks to the process. So how does your average provider office deal with all this stuff? I mean, is it somebody who's just like a whiz who has a whole bunch of forms in a filing cabinet or how does this typically get organized? In most practices now, there are full-time people dedicated to this process. It's become the norm, essentially an added cost to the practice. And over time, you know, having people on staff that just do this has become pretty overwhelming. If you think about the number of people, depending on the size of the practice and the amount of drugs that are prescribed, it, it can be a couple of people, it can be 10 people, and that's basically a, a cost that the the provider absorbs. So it's not really a reimbursable part of, you know, what they do. It's just more administrative overhead. And it's it's quite costly and significant given the, the number of drugs that need the, this process to happen for them to get to patients. You had also tossed out the word hub that a lot of these pharmaceutical manufacturers have hubs that they use. Could you just, what is that more specifically? Yes, essentially a hub is one central location that a manufacturer engages in order to have all prescriptions that are coming into their for their drug to go through this one central location. Essentially, the goal of the hub is to take every prescription in so that there's a consistent view on, you know, what's coming in. The process is the same for every prescription. Ultimately, the hubs are sending this prescription over to the specialty pharmacies the same as the prescriber would have done. The difference is that they are sort of in the middle of it and they can offer other services like patient assistance programs. In some cases, they'll offer clinical programs if the manufacturer wants that. And so they act as sort of a resource for the patient, potentially the provider. And ultimately, though, the prescription ends up at the specialty pharmacy in the same way. It just comes through a separate entity. 
And does that save the prescriber a step because they don't have to figure out the most convenient specialty pharmacy for the particular patient, like the physician, you know, or the person that's the dedicated person in the office just says, "Okay, here's the drug. I got the phone number for the hub. You know, I kind of pass off some of this work. Does that? Theoretically, yes, that's what's supposed to happen. And I think the first step of just figuring out where to send it is eliminated However, a lot of times it goes to the hub and the hub still needs a lot of the information from the prescriber that they would have had to send to the specialty pharmacy anyways. So there's still a fair amount of back and forth between the hub and the provider as opposed to then the specialty pharmacy. In some cases, you know, that can be, can extend the time. And in some cases it shortens the time. It really depends on the situation and also the performance of the hub and also what the requirements are of the manufacturer for that product to get to the specialty pharmacy. So there's a lot of variables in there. In some cases, it helps. And in some cases, it could slow the process down a little bit more. What it doesn't do in most cases is make anything more efficient and electronic and seamless. It's it's a lot of the same activity just through a different entity. Speaking of electronic and efficient and seamless, let's talk about ZapRx. <laughs> sure. I'm happy to do that. <laughs> so, you know, we just talked about this tangled web of getting a patient a specialty product in the current fashion. If a provider has access to ZapRx, how does that process change? Like what goes on differently? Essentially, the ZapRx platform is designed to streamline a lot of what is, as I explained earlier, manual and inefficient. So the platform hosts, so I'll use an example in the, right now we're launched in PAH, pulmonary arterial hypertension. And so that disease state is treated by leading pulmonologists in that, that are expert in that disease state. And essentially there are about 15 potential drugs that can be prescribed for a patient experiencing that condition, our platform takes every one of those drugs and puts them on a on our web-based platform. So essentially the provider has a login and can see and choose any one of these 15 drugs. And ultimately we are pulling in a lot of information before the prof- provider has to enter anything that existed in the electronic medical record. So all of the demographic information, all of the basic fields that are currently filled out manually on multiple forms get pulled in electronically from the EMR or other data feed of some sort. And so really what the person entering the prescription is looking at is filling in just clinical questions that cannot be answered by existing data. And that information, all the demographics, all of the data that comes in, also what they input goes to populate technically the forms that exist today and ultimately e-fax them to the specialty pharmacies or to the hubs, if that's the case. And also we have a prior authorization partner, PARX, who essentially gets the prior authorization at the same time that the prescription is being sent to the specialty pharmacy. So from the prescriber point of view, it basically looks like one very simple, and it is one very simple process to just fill in missing information as opposed to starting from scratch and filling out every single form with duplicative fields manually. They do a few steps once and it populates to get to where it needs to go in order to get the fulfillment process started. How that would look would be, I'm still picking the drug. So I still don't have necessarily insurance information. You know what I mean? Like, yes. So that yep. part of the process remains the same. But today, 
Yes, that oh. is the case today. So as uh, you may know or may, may, may not know, um, you know, we are a startup organization. And so we are about a year into actually having the product platform launched out into the market. One of the really important steps in our roadmap is to actually get integration with payers and or specialty and very much so specialty pharmacies, PBMs, so that the vision for this platform is to literally have decision-making ability for the prescriber at the point of prescribing. So think longer term now. So I, what I just described is where we are today. Longer term, the plan is to essentially have the payer information, so the benefit design for the patient, the selection of the drug based on their formulary, as well as the selection of the specialty pharmacy based on who is in network. These decisions actually help payers control the process in a much more efficient way so that the provider is educated up front on what the best choices are financially and from a, a network standpoint, as well as for the patient from a copay point of view. And then ultimately moves that process much more efficiently because it gets to the right place at the right time. And there will be no guessing game in terms of where it's supposed to go and and what the impact on the patient is from a financial point of view. Yeah, I could see if you look at it that way, that it, it certainly behooves, I mean, having this as a hot mess um, and, you know, people are prescribing products that may or may not be on formulary, which ultimately wind up costing the payer more money um, mm-hmm. than if people would have followed the process. That doesn't really serve the patient, you know, if, if people aren't following directions, mainly because they don't know what the directions are. Right. Um, that's certainly not great. On the <laughs> on the other hand, I have heard it said that this is not done accidentally. That in some cases, having these arcane and invisible, multi step, confusing flowcharts of processes are done deliberately in order to slow down the prescribing of these expensive products. Yeah, I would say that that is certainly have heard that as well. I think it applies much more to uh, what we would consider retail drugs. So your traditional you know, sort of blood pressure, average drugs that you can get at the corner drugstore in large part because there are many choices about what is prescribed in those areas and, you know, many influencers in terms of how prescribing is decisions are made. On the specialty side, it is pretty clear that if you are taking a specialty drug, it has a pretty relevant purpose, life-altering, life-changing, life-saving in most cases. And it's pretty hard to say that a patient that's being prescribed some of these drugs wouldn't need them. I think the, the mindset has shifted in specialty from a payer point of view to say, we definitely want patients on these drugs and we want them on quickly because the downside of having them not get on the product and ultimately potentially end up in the hospital or worse is far more expensive than covering the product itself. And so really, I think what what we see is that the payers are trying to find a way to do that. And today, it's just there nothing else exists because of the complexity of the system. So from our perspective, we may be helping get the drug to the patient more quickly, but we do not think it's in conflict with the payer because we are supporting what they're trying to do, which is get it to the right pharmacy and get the right drug out to the patient in an electronic, more uh, easy way, which ultimately leads to efficiencies and does get the drug on to the patient potentially faster. But in specialty, 
it's super important to do that because of the potential complications for patients that do not get their drugs when they need them. How then would the function of prior auths be changing or is it? Because if a payer is thinking about PAs, prior auths, in that fashion, then you would think that the criteria would start to diminish or are they regarding themselves as kind of the double check of the clinical opinion? Because you definitely don't want to give some of these medications to someone it's not appropriate for. So they're not quite trusting the provider to have gone through that math or like yeah, I think a double check is a is a good way to put it. Uh, I do know that you know many of them are working with large uh, integrated delivery networks and and different provider groups to kind of assign what I would call a gold card you know, process. So trusted prescribers that are expert in their field often could have a relationship where they have less onerous process. But by and large, because they are on the hook for these drugs and they know that there are choices and they want to make sure that they're getting the best value for the drug that's being prescribed. They just want to have kind of the final say in whether that goes through. I don't necessarily see that changing as much as I see the process by which that happens changing, which means there's a lot of companies working on trying to make the prior authorization electronic, both on the retail side and more recently on the specialty side. We actually are a company of partnerships and we are very much interested in working with any other company that is building something that is more electronic. Today, we use, a, a as I mentioned, Parx, which is doing a phenomenal job for us getting approvals for our PAH patients or doctors. But it is a manual behind-the-scenes process, which ultimately is not scalable. So essentially, we our vision is to have partnerships with companies that are building an electronic way to get the, the prescription through on the prior auth side. And that actually could involve payers as well. So direct integration with payers and their prior authorization process is on our radar screen as well. How does this compare to electronic prior auths? You know, there's this kind of this whole cottage industry at at this juncture working on pipelines so that electronic prior auths can get sent directly to, to payers. I know you said you're very collaborative. Yes. Is that a competitive entity or is it somebody you could collaborate with or is it a frenemy situation? Yeah. So it's definitely our goal is to collaborate. I, we do not see it as competitive at all, in large part because our platform really brings together multiple steps in the process. And, you know, EPA is one of those steps. We have no intention of building out that, you know, that capability on our own. For sure, we need partners in that area. So, you know, what we look at is a more of a holistic from beginning to end of prescribing process, connecting with partners and or building, you know, the front end as we've done to we we really integrate with the provider side and spend a lot of time there. And ultimately to make the product a lot deeper, the partnerships will will come, right? So EPA is is one of them, working with the e-prescribing companies like SureScripts, et cetera, and pretty much every other stakeholder, specialty pharmacies. There's really a lot of upside for every stakeholder in partnering because it basically allows for more transparency and information and data, makes the process easier for anybody that's on the, you know, working with us with the platform. And ultimately, the patients win at the end of the day. And I think that that is the goal of everybody in the system. So from our perspective, any of those partners are not competitive. We're, we're very symbiotic, if you will. And, and that's an area that we're, you know, sort of heading down next is to, to figure out those partnerships and where the industry is today with EPA and where it's headed. Who tends to hire you? Are you mostly hired on the provider side? 
Yes. So today, that's where we spend the majority of our time. We're in the middle of scaling in the PAH market. So the physicians and their office staff who treat patients with PAH are our primary customer today. Down the line, um, and one of the things that makes ZapRx unique, as I mentioned earlier, we actually put all of the drugs on the platform. There are what people refer to as portals in this industry right now. And there's, you know, many specialty pharmacies have them. Each drug manufacturer may have them. Essentially, there's, you know, lots of portals and the use of the portals is pretty low at the prescriber level because there's so many of them. They have to have, you know, 15 logins for 15 different drugs. So our uh, essential primary customer is the provider. We make this so much easier. We give them one place to go to not only fill the prescriptions, but track you know, where it is in the process in terms of the prior authorization and ultimately the specialty pharmacy status. But if you think about where we sit in the equation, it's at the front end of the prescribing process, which is where nobody else typically gathers data. The information in the specialty market for manufacturers is pretty limited because most of the manufacturers who allow specialty pharmacies to supply their medications have contracts and, and exclude the, the selling of data for their products. We are approaching this from the front end where the information that comes through our system ultimately comes to us. And so we can actually provide a much broader view of what's going on in a category as opposed to what's going on with just one drug. And downstream, we actually know and have done a lot of research with biopharma. There is a, a big, big unmet need in terms of the level of detail of information and data that exists today and the need that they have for it. So our long-term business model is really built around the data that we're collecting over time with these, you know, at the provider level and through the process of the prescription fulfillment. What's a specific example of data that's missing? So if you think about today, what happens is, you know, there's large companies like IMS and Symphony Health, and they, they provide really, really great data at, at broad scale, right? And it's, you know, more transactional data. A prescription was written at, you know, this point in time, and it's volume-based. A lot of the companies use it for field force deployment. It's, it's definitely very valuable information, and we are not proposing to be competitive with that. We are actually pulling things like, you know, what happens at what point in time in the prescribing process. As an example, we could tell a manufacturer that a prescription was submitted to a specialty pharmacy, but ultimately never got filled. Or a prescription was submitted, but then ultimately it had to be switched to another product. Longer term, we'll be able to tell the why, which is what's really missing in the industry. So there's a lot of information out there about what happened. Much of it is lagged information, so it's hard to make proactive strategic decisions around things. Our data, because we're getting it as soon as it's being prescribed at the provider, is close to real time. And ultimately, we're building in questions and talking to manufacturers about what information that they would want to help them understand the why about decision making. Why was this drug chosen? You know, why was this drug switched to? Was it a payer decision? Was it a provider decision? Was it a copay issue? Those types of things you can't really get today because you don't have any access to the thought process that existed during the journey for the prescription. So that is what we're hoping to provide for Biopharma is a lot more deep level analysis and insight into the why things are happening with their product and, and the competitive products in the market. Is that something that a provider would, are you going to get a provider who's like, don't sell my data? 
<laughs> yeah, so in order to use our platform, uh, we have obviously built into the agreement our ability to use aggregated um, de-identified data. So, you know, essentially they're agreeing up front to allow us use of their data more in, you know, in aggregated form. So our, our goal isn't to go expose every provider's thought process for every single product down to the patient level, for sure. We're really trying to identify trends and we'll be aggregating the data. And as it stands today, all of the providers that we're working with are very open to that. Ultimately, they understand that having more information is important to ultimately get patients what they need. Um, and so we have not had any issues with any of our uh, customers worrying about that. You mentioned that you're kicking this all off with PAH, I think you said, in that yes. disease category. So I, I, I gather, just based on that, that for every single disease category, there's a whole lot of work that needs to happen. You know, like this isn't something that, you know, that that some cardiovascular something or other is you're going to be able to use exactly the same framework and model as, you know, something else, some respiratory something or other. So believe it or not, there's um, this is very scalable across different specialties. So even though there are unique dynamics by drug and by specialty, by and large, the process for getting the prescription through the system is the same. We are actually focused on five key areas. So pulmonology being the first one, we've already started with PAH as well as IPF, and we're adding cystic fibrosis, I think actually this week. So that's pulmonary. And then we're also working on rheumatology, oncology, neurology, and gastroenterology. So those are the five what we would consider largest sort of, you know, specialties that have a need in this category. There's a lot of prior authorizations going on. There's a lot of complexities. All of the things that I've described up until this point about PAH apply to those other disease states in many of the same ways. For each one of those, there's definitely some nuances, certainly in terms of what data and information the manufacturers would want, but the platform and the underlying code and, and all of that is very transferable across multiple specialties because the system itself is the same for, you know, the specialty pharmacies, the payers, all of that stuff is the same. It's really just a matter of which drugs are on the platform and what nuances those drugs have in terms of how they make their way through the system. The basic framework and construct remains consistent. It's just like exactly what the content is. You're still you're exactly. filling in the same boxes. It's just the, yes. Okay. If someone is interested in learning more about ZapRx and your next steps and what, what your additional plans are, where might they go for that information? We have a website that has, you know, a few different ways you can go. Certainly get some basic information. Um, we have some ebooks on there. It's www.zaprx.com. And actually, there's a contact page as well. It's probably the best place to go to understand a little bit more about what we're doing, even a little bit more about the problem that exists today. And ultimately, if someone's interested in, you know, talking to somebody here live at ZapRx, they can send a contact request in and we will get back to them. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Lori. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a great time. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is 
automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.